bitch is bad and bullshit. Welcome to the Bad and Bitchy Podcast. I'm Erin. I'm Erica. And we're doing a special bonus episode on women and alcohol today. Um, Most definitely. This was kind of Bailey's little brainchild. Um, So we're doing this in honor of her. Yay. Um, She shared her story of, she shared many stories of her sobriety over previous episodes and over the summer um of 2017 she posted uh she wrote an op-ed for the ottawa citizen about her sobriety so we will link to that uh in the uh the description of the podcast um so go read it if you haven't it's very wonderful talks about her journey um so i guess erica and i should preface this with the fact that we both still drink alcohol yep um regularly yep um so this is going to be a learning experience for us however like lately i've been really taking stock of my consumption and it's honestly because like i've i i have a business now so i have to be alert and aware at all times and i feel like Alcohol has a tendency to slow me down and to make Mm -hmm. my head fuzzy. And so I'm thinking about like I'm like this is not the best time to think about cutting back, but it's something I definitely want to do because I also want to I also want to work out more and be more active and that that curtails that progress, too. And then you eat shitty, and then it's all one big cycle. Yeah, it's uh, really interesting. Uh, I was talking with a friend last night about he was doing, gave up alcohol for Lent last, or this year, 2017. Shoot. Then he felt very clear-headed, very, a lot healthier. Um, So yeah, I'm always trying to be more conscious of my own alcohol consumption. Yeah. Yeah. But like, as someone who like, watches a lot of sports... You know, watching sports and drinking is very intertwined. That's true. Um, Same, yeah. And uh, I then I started thinking about the relationship with men and alcohol because men are the primary watchers of sports. And we, Bailey had men talked about before um, marketing of alcohol towards women, but like men are just as bad. Yeah, I mean, I I think the marketing of alcohol to men has to do with um, virility for the most part. And um, so, for example, the the guy, you know, the well-cut, chiseled man or well-dressed man or looks like he's in like GQ. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I will blame hip hop for this a little bit (laughs) because... There was a time in the 90s and still now, like in hip hop, alcohol consumption is expected. Yeah. And the Henny, the Henny, the Crevassier, like how like hip hop made songs about Crevassier, Crystal, you know, I mean, (laughs) in the 90s, like I remember that in the 2000s. I remember that. So I think um, I think 
what we're seeing now is just alcohol companies expanding their market into women because they need to do that to please their shareholders, yeah. right? They need to keep driving up that stock. And so when you have just two basically major companies that are distributing alcohol, two or three, th maybe three or four actually, worldwide companies, then the competition for those dollars is even greater. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, you have things like, um, I think, new when I think about alcohol and women and marketing to women, I think of um, Skinny Girl. Yeah. And I think about Bethany, what's Frankel? her name? Frankel from um, Real Housewives of New York. Yeah. And that's how she made her money. Yep. And skinny Girl Margarita. Skinny Girl Margarita. It's okay. You can you can drink and still not gain weight. That's a very, very female-centric message. Yes. Is that you can drink wine because you are not going to gain the weight. You're not going to gain the beer belly. So yep. it's fine. And what I find is that wine especially has been marketed to women like nobody's business. Mm -hmm. Wine, sugary drinks especially cocktails um um mixes like that yeah, like it's you go just, the whole sex in the city thing the whole sex in the sex in the city i did blame hip-hop but i also blame sex there you know there's a lot of pop blame. culture it's pop culture there's a lot of blame to go around sex in the city i don't even know if i saw a scene without somebody drinking when they were out in public not necessarily in their houses i feel like samantha had a few Charlotte had her no, not Charlotte, but definitely Samantha and Carrie. Yeah, I feel like Samantha and Carrie. Well, the Cosmopolitan came from no, no, no. I mean, but like when they're at like their own homes. Yeah, like, like when Sam Carrie's writing, she's not drinking. Generally, no, but Samantha did probably. I think, and which which in another way has another lens to it because Samantha was a sexually free one and or freer one and then like how alcohol really plays into that yes i'm not i there's I, a lot there's a lot to there. unpack there Whew. so Whew. my i guess the point is now that we know better we should talk about doing better i i agree yeah um because so... i personally want to do better on that front yeah so yeah um i my boyfriend came to town to visit during Thanksgiving a couple weeks ago, um, and we were watching sports at the bar, and one night I had to get up early in the morning, so I had switched from drinking with dinner to drinking water, so we went to a bar and I ordered a hot water with lemon. The amount of shit that I ate from the bartender was unreal. In what way? It was just like, oh, so you're getting, I'm getting all my tips from you tonight, huh? You know wait, what? wait, wait. Where was this? Oh, some like shitty pub downtown. I mean, it was like the guy was joking, but like I no, was like. No, that's inappropriate. Yeah. Oh, sure. First of all. Oh, absolutely. Okay. First of all, I don't even know who raised half these people because the shit that comes out of their mouth. Okay, now I'm on a rant. So the shit that comes <laughs> out of their mouth. I, I'm just like, really? You really think that's appropriate from somebody who's paying? Really? I mean, I was drinking water, so I wasn't paying. <laughs> but, well, that was the problem, apparently. Um, but, but you ain't paying there in the future, are you? Yeah, no. Okay. No. Yeah. 
Um, anyway, so we have two interviews um, for this podcast. We have an interview with Elise Harris, who is a counselor at the Amethyst Women's Addiction Center in Ottawa. And then we also have an interview with uh, Julia Hanlon, uh, who is the who is a brewmaster at Steamworks Brewing in Vancouver. Um, so we did have a bit of technical difficulties, particularly in Elise's interview. So we want to apologize for that. Um, we got it sorted, though. Not in that interview. <laughs> <laughs> between between the two. We, um, we MacGyvered that motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, definitely learned a lot from Elise's conversation. And yeah. yeah. It, was, it was, yeah. Like, I didn't realize, like, you don't think about things in that way. You think about things from your perspective. Yeah. It's really proved to me how much I, there's just some areas where I have giant blind spots and addiction and recovery is one of them. Yeah. Me too. Um, and then speaking to a woman brew, a female brewmaster, very cool. Yep. Um, so yeah, so just uh, stay tuned. Okay, and so today we're joined by Elise Harris, who is a counselor at the Amethyst Women's Addiction Center here in Ottawa. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, Amethyst uh, Women's Addiction Center? Sure. So, um, yeah, I've been at Amethyst in different ways for about 10 years now. And um, my interest specifically has always been working with women who have experienced trauma. And through that work, um, I really discovered the link between trauma and addiction. And that sort of brought me over to explore the addiction side of things more. Um, and right now at Amethyst, I'm part-time in the general counseling program, and I also coordinate the sexual abuse support program there. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Uh, and so Amethyst is a treatment center for women specifically. Um, so why do you think a, a gender lens is important when it comes to women and sobriety? Yeah, so Amethyst's general philosophy is that um, women's experience of addiction can't be separated from the context in which we live. Um, and so although we know that significant advances have been made in the front of gender equality, we also know that women still face unique challenges like you know, lower income, um, experiences of violence, and then have unique challenges and barriers in terms of getting to treatment, um, including things like childcare, right? Um, and then we've also found that traditional programs, you know, that have really focused on this idea of people need to be broken down, need to be held accountable, and that's what builds recovery really hasn't worked for women and hasn't been designed with women in mind. Hmm. Um, and so I'm, I guess in a general way, I'm not always sure that that's appropriate for men either, but we've really found that for women, you know, kind of having empowerment and self-esteem building as sort of the foundational building blocks of recovery right. are, you know, the pieces that seem to really work better for women. And then I think at Amethyst, too, you know, having a feminist lens towards addiction, it also leaves space for the recognition of sort of intersectionality and so recognizing that women's experience of things like racism and transphobia are also you know, structures and experiences that can really contribute to women's um, reliance on substances to cope. 
Hmm. That's really interesting. Um, not obviously struggling with addiction myself. I had never really considered the different implications uh, for all the different intersections that we talk about yeah, regularly. Sorry. I didn't hear that part at all. Oh, sorry. Um, having never um, dealt with addiction myself, um, I've never really considered the the different implications for the different intersections that we actually speak about on the podcast regularly. So this is really interesting to learn how different people, genders, and races can be affected by addiction and recovery programs. Yeah, uh, sorry, it's still really cutting out. Uh, okay, um, so uh, having never dealt with addiction myself, um, it's it's really interesting to hear about the work of Amethyst uh, and their their philosophies. Um, because mm-hmm. I had never considered uh, the different implications on, you know, gender and race, uh, which are things that we regularly talk about here on the podcast. So it's really interesting um, to learn about the, how addictions and recovery um, can affect those different populations. Um, and, uh, right now, you know, we're, we're in this bizarre time in society, uh, and, you know, there are so many different types of gadgets and tools being sold these days to women, like bangles and bracelets, bras where you can store your wine to make it easier to drink. Uh, there's... How much easier does it have to be? (laughs) (laughs) Like... I. Yeah, I, the fridge is over there. <laughs> I think I, don't understand. I think it's like a camelback with like a straw in your bra. I'm not really. I sure. I can't even. Um, and you know there are, there are even scarves that surreptitiously hold wine, um, and for whatever reason, wine always seems to be the alcohol of choice that's marketed towards women. Um, you know, and we talk about yoga and wine. We talk about mommy juice, we talk about boozy brunches, and society is just continually telling women over and over that we need to be drinking, that we need to be consuming alcohol. But then, conversely, there's also this message that women are drinking too much, and they need to tone it down, and women are to blame for all of these rampant sexual assault numbers um, and that women psychologically are different from men and therefore can't handle alcohol. So what do you, what are your thoughts on this weird double standard between women and men when it comes to drinking? Yeah, I mean, it's, I guess it's difficult for me to answer that question in a general way, but I can say from an addiction lens, um, I definitely see how this sort of dichotomy almost creates two categories for experiences um, when it comes to women's experience of addiction. And so on the one hand, you have women who are, you know, very involved with a party culture and drinking is their sort of main or only way to connect with other people. Um you know, drinking and partying might be a really significant part of their identity, although, you know, that might also be complicated by some of those double standards and shaming messages. And so if women 
um, you know, maybe holding secrets about violence that they've experienced while they're drinking because they don't feel like it's safe enough to come forward with that, um, knowing that they'll be held responsible. And then sort of on the flip side, there's women who struggle with addictions who are just drinking completely in isolation, mm-hmm. um, and their whole lives might revolve around sort of keeping that as a secret. So, you know, trying to keep up appearances, trying to be like a super mom, a super employee so that nobody discovers the secret. Or there's women who are just keeping themselves in total isolation um, as a way to stay safe, knowing, you know, the shame that can be associated specifically for women with drinking. I think that's a really, uh, first of all, that's And then on top of that, (laughs) there's all the, I think the barriers that that create for women seeking help um and so you know either for women seeking help around experiences of violence while they've been using you know drinking or using substances and then also um you know sort of barriers for women who just want to reach out for help or explore issues related to their drinking or feeling Mm -hmm. that their drinking has become problematic because of all the stigma that's involved with that which barriers are how how do the how are the barriers different for okay. rich women, for upper class women, lower class women, working class, poor, middle class. So how are the barriers different for women from like different socio Yeah, socioeconomic classes? classes, yes. I think definitely that there would be different barriers. I mean, I think sort of across the board there's going to be a level of stigma that women experience. Um Women with lower income, though, are are more likely to face challenges like, um, you know, support around childcare if they need to go away to treatment, and then knowing too that women who are, you know, lower income are more likely to be under more scrutiny, and so there's already a certain level of like accountability or or shame that's there that isn't there for women who have more of an upper-class status. So, you know, if they're involved in social services in any way, if they're receiving any kind of income support, there's just going to be that much more of an eye on what they're doing, how they're coping, how they're managing things, whereas um, women who have more income, have more resources, are less likely to be involved in those kind of systems and be under a little bit less scrutiny. And then even things like, you know, time off work, if women are working, you know, like women who have a good job with good benefits, you know, might be able to access things like long-term or short-term disability to take time off to go away for treatment. You know, women who have less income are less likely to have those kind of supports if they need to take time off. So it's more about whether, like, the barriers to whether or not or how they can access treatments or more regularly or at all? Yeah, you're saying it's more about the barriers about how they can access treatment? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess I would add, too, that, I mean, certainly women who have higher income can be isolated and can, you know, experience different types of kind of shaming messages and marginalization. But I think women who are, um, like, facing more financial barriers and have more financial stress you know, if we understand that addiction is a coping mechanism and a survival tool, that just having this constant sort of even background level of stress around 
income security can add to a level of what women are needing to cope with. Hmm. So, I mean, we're largely talking about our own or making reference to our own kind of personal experiences and peer group when we're, when we're talking about women and alcohol. Um, and, you know, so we're talking more from like a middle class perspective, um, more millennial focused, um, working professional age. Um, and so, you know, these kind of cultural things and, you know, pop culture have led us to believe in this idea of the cool girl. Um, and so how do these um, unique experiences between uh, things in society, like we mentioned, the the bangles and having alcohol marketed to women so frequently, how do those impact um, women and addictions? Like, are you seeing younger people come in and recognizing that they have issues or, or like, is it skewing more to like, you know, Gen X and older, other generations? So I think you're asking a question about like generations, like women's experience at different ages or generations. Yeah. Like, is there, is there a difference between how alcohol marketing affects women of different generations and ages? I mean, marketing certainly plays a role in, you know, women's experience of how drinking is presented. I mean, even in terms of sexuality and that kind of thing. But, I, yeah, I guess I can't think of a direct link about how marketing would affect, like, women's experience at different ages necessarily in terms of their experience of addiction what what i was saying was that for professional women in the corporate setting there's this insidious dichotomy also um on one hand you're supposed to participate and be a team player in things like christmas part office christmas parties and and you know once a month we would have in my old workplace like you know, beers or, you know, uh, an, an alcohol afternoon or late afternoon on a Friday. Mm. And there's this dichotomy between drinking to be a team player and but not looking like you're drinking. Do you know mm. what I mean? And it's mm. this odd, really odd position. And it, it it's, you know, it's even more, um, I guess, for women, because you're always trying to find that space where you can fit. So you don't want to drink too much, but you don't want to drink too little. And I, I guess my question is, how do we navigate that? I, I just missed the question at the end. How do we navigate that? How do we navigate? How do we manage that? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess just coming from my perspective, like I, it's hard for me to answer just a general question about women in drinking. Like my lens is more, or my expertise lies more in like women's experience of addiction. But I can definitely say that, you know, for women who are in recovery, 
those kind of situations, like office Christmas party, the expectation to drink with staff, like alcohol is so interwoven through our society, whether it's, you know, those expectations at work or, you know, the holidays are coming up. It's so associated with drinking. And so it, giving up drinking is a huge challenge for a lot of women because there it's, it's unavoidable that there's going to be, you know, it's almost unavoidable that there's going to be expectation to drink in some area of your life. And then there's the level of even that, you know, a lot of women might have experiences, you know, there might be parts of their lives that they've never experienced without alcohol. And so, you know, mm-hmm. if you're looking at giving up drinking, then, and then you want to, you know, find a partner, you want to start dating. Well, like, mm-hmm. how can you possibly imagine starting to date or go on a date with someone where there's no alcohol involved? You know, how could you imagine meeting someone or socializing with friends where there's no alcohol involved? How could you imagine you know, being intimate or having sex with someone where there's no alcohol involved. Like a lot of people, not even people with addictions, have all these parts of their lives that they've never experienced without some, you know, the influence of some kind of alcohol. And so I guess from my perspective, thinking about the women that I work with, those kind of things become huge, huge challenges. And then, you know, trying to come up with, okay, what's the story that I'm constantly going to be telling people sometimes it might be safe to say I'm in recovery and then women are also using like all kinds of different reasons like okay the medication I'm on doesn't allow me to drink or Mm -hmm. I'm on a diet so I'm not going to drink right now and so they're the kind of situations that women in recovery are are constantly trying to negotiate wow Um, so just a couple more questions uh, before we wrap up um, kind of in a similar vein, Elise, you were talking about um, women experiencing situations for the first time um, without alcohol, such as dating. Um, and right now we're seeing this trend, and I, it's, I feel bad calling it a trend, but it kind of is, um, of millennial women increasingly choosing to not drink um uh, can you think of any factors that might be contributing to this um kind of maybe from the recovery lens yeah i mean it's not something that i had heard of before so i i can't think of any specific factors to it but i yeah i guess i can say that it's I think for anyone, it's healthy to have a variety of of ways of being able to interact with people and engage in the world. And I think, you know, socially, in the bigger picture, we tend to be very dependent on alcohol to facilitate again, like lots of experiences and lots of parts of our lives. So to be able to build up an ability even just to sit down with friends and talk and have a tolerance for that and be able to enjoy that without alcohol as part of the picture, I think is a, a pretty healthy skill to be able to develop. Um, and so, you know, not saying that alcohol in and of itself is like morally bad or wrong or anything like that, but just ask people to be able to engage with the world and, you know, in, in different ways and have 
for some people have the option of alcohol, but also to feel like I can be in the world and, you know, manage all these different situations without it, I think is just really healthy life skills building. Absolutely. Coping skills building. Sure. Um, so one last question before we say goodbye. Um, you know, right now it's December 2nd when we're recording this and we're kicking off the holiday season. Everyone's going to be attending holiday parties um, over the next month or so. Um, so what message should we be sending women about alcohol during this time? Yeah, I mean, again, I guess I can't necessarily speak to women and alcohol generally, but just, you know, what I can say is just recognizing that the holidays is a difficult time for a lot of people and it's a time that's very very associated with drinking um and so just to ask people to support people in your life choose not to drink for for whatever reason over the holiday season and knowing that even if you don't relate to or understand the reasons why someone chooses not to drink that it's important that we also leave space for and support those women and their choices that's some great advice, and I think that's also just generally good advice for anyone in your life who chooses not to drink for one night or for the rest of their lives, um, whether mm-hmm. or not they're in recovery. Yeah, because I think that's the flip side to, you know, sort of the shame that's placed on what around drinking is sort of the shame that's placed on people who choose not to drink, that you know, it's like a foreign thing that a lot of people just can't relate to. And yeah, it's really a personal experience. It's a personal choice and people should be supported if you choose not to for whatever reason, even if you don't understand those reasons. Great. Well, this has been really interesting, very informative. Um, So thanks for spending time with us. Okay, thanks for having me. Thank you for coming or for phoning in and <laughs> and dealing with our tech issues. Yeah, I mean, I hope, again, I hope that that's like I I can't really speak to women in general, like women and drinking generally. So I hope that sort of was getting at some other things that you wanted to get. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so now we're joined by Julia Hanlon, uh, the, a brewmaster from Steamworks Brewing out in Vancouver. Uh, thanks for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, so what does a brewmaster do? Um, well, a lot of people think it's a very glamorous job, but it is actually, <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot of work. I mean, um, I think the main part of my job is obviously making the beer and creating the beer, but a lot of my job is also... Um, managing my team, um, planning all of the materials and making sure that we can make all the beers we need to make and meet our forecasted demands. And so there's a lot of um, kind of non-brewing stuff as well. Right. And so how did you become a brewmaster? Uh, I studied chemical engineering at UBC, and I really, um, I had done some co-op jobs in some other industries uh, in sort of the first 
half of my degree uh, in, more, in more like typical chemical engineering fields like pulp and paper and mining and things like that. And um, it just wasn't really, I knew it wasn't really what I wanted to do. Um, and then I started getting into more uh, biological sciences within my degree and also food science. And I love eating, and I love, <laughs> I love drinking, and I love baking, and so it kind of like all those sort of culinary things kind of uh, came together with really loving loving beer. Um, and I kind of somewhere in university decided this is what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And um, I grew up in Vancouver, and pretty much the only big brewery at the time. This would have been about two thousand five. Um, in Vancouver was was the Molson Brewery, uh, with a few exceptions. But if I actually wanted to find a job in the industry, it was going to be at Molson. So that's where I got my start. Um, I was with uh, Molson for 10 years as as a brewer. Mm-hmm. Um, and they kind of helped me get through my additional schooling with brewing through the Institute of Brewing and Distilling in the UK. Uh, so that's where I got my diploma in brewing. Uh, yeah, and then about, I guess, going on three years ago, I just kind of decided I wanted to make a change um, in the big multinational breweries. There's, uh, it's, it can be kind of a, a boys club. Um, you don't have to mince words with us. You can just call it a so boys we, club. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it kind of was that, but there was also like a big age gap too. Like right. it seemed like it would take me a really long time to progress in my career if I stayed there. And I wasn't so excited about the beer that I was making anymore either. So I decided to make the jump to craft, um, which in the 10 years I've been at Molson, um, and even like the last two years I was there, the industry has completely exploded uh, in BC and in in Vancouver in particular. Um, So there was a lot more opportunity to, uh, for someone like me to move into a, a brewmaster position in in craft brewing and have a little bit more influence creatively as well. So that was something I was looking for. Well, I think... Yeah, that was kind of the the long path (laughs) to where I am now. Well, you have a great story. And um, before we get into the whole alcohol thing, I just want to point out that basically you started off going to school and getting the right career and the right job and so on and so forth. And you're, then you're just like, you know what? My pa- like, this is not for me. Like my passion is somewhere yeah. else. And, um, like, and, and then you're like, I want to brew beer. Yeah, I do. Like mm-hmm. it just, it just like your, your journey seems very passion driven and it's like just as an aside i just want to say that that's pretty awesome but (laughs) getting into it how has the industry um especially from a beer perspective courted women versus men over time like how have those differences changed i mean are you talking about how we market yes uh, beer to men and women? Is that what you mean? Yes, beer. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think, uh, well, <laughs> it, it's still predominantly marketed towards, you know, males under the age of 
30, I would say. Okay. Um, I definitely know from my time working at the big multinational brewery, that was always like the target market. Um, I think with the craft specifically, um, there's a little bit more uh, equality, I guess, as, as to where companies are marketing to. But, mm-hmm. I mean, we still see, I still see just, like, terrible labels and terrible right. um, social media all over the place. Like, uh, I don't really, I don't really think a craft brewery should be, or any brewery for that matter, but um, I think we craft breweries are held to a higher standard. Uh, should be like having a beer girl in their photo in their social media, for example. Like, and I don't see that everywhere, but it's definitely around. And so it's, and, and I, I don't think like I don't think women are. I still don't think women are the target market, craft or not. But oh, yeah, um, it seems like it's being more it's it's being more more gender gender neutral like i i don't think our advertising appeals as steamworks advertising and many breweries advertising appeals to one or one or the other and do you think like i guess speaking to about crafts specifically that that is because um they're they're not just brewing one type of beer they're brewing different flavors and different you know, your uh, I think IPA. to a certain extent, I think the difference between a craft brewery's marketing and a, a large multinational brewery's marketing is that craft tends to talk a lot more, a lot more about ingredients right. and process rather than drinking experience, um, like social drinking experience. Like uh, if you look at say like a multi Canadian ad, it's about you know maybe it's about watching hockey. It's about yeah. it's about the social experience surrounding the beer, which is often directed more at men, whereas craft brewing advertising, for the most part, is more about the quality of the ingredients, the, um, the, the like, where the ingredients come from, uh, the care that's taken in the process, like, that's more what, that's kind of more the narrative, as opposed to, like, what you're doing when you're drinking it. It's more about the beer, as opposed to, as opposed to the, the social context around the beer you know what i mean that's a very interesting distinction Mm -hmm. actually because what we're being sold is a lifestyle right and so and that's with any major product right so it's just interesting to see it's and 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 it's interesting to even go a step further and think about how the differences in the marketing attract different people, different genders, mm-hmm. different socioeconomic scales, um, mm-hmm. different, you know, just, just, just different people. And mm-hmm. so how, what do you think? Like, so to me, my assumption would be that when you talk about quality, you are, um, you are targeting a niche market. Like a market that understands a little bit about hops and beer quality and stuff like that, rather yeah, than think, somebody who just wants a beer. Yeah, I think that's a fair assumption, and especially in our like with craft brewing as well, the markets tend to be a lot more localized. Mm-hmm. Um, so the beer consumer in the local Vancouver market has become quite savvy. Right. So they know. They know, like, we're speaking the same language a lot of the time. Right. Um, <clears throat> so I think, you know, in that respect, it's 
definitely appealing to the beer, like the beer nerds, but also I guess if you look at the platforms of, of marketing for craft brewers, it's not like TV commercials. Yeah. It's social media. Yeah. I mean, that's really, that's really, that's really it. Like yeah. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. <laughs> So um, is so that for craft brewery or your major a target audience that is, you know, part of those communities? Um, the okay. only the other main ways that we can market or that we market are uh, like we have a, like a local tap room, and so mm-hmm. we have our our neighborhood. We have you know I think it's going more to more more and more towards every neighborhood and every town having a brewery and that being like the center of of the community in some ways. So that's the way it used to be. I know that yeah. like our breweries in Burnaby, which is just outside of Vancouver, um, that's our production brewery. And we also have our brew pub downtown, but our, in our production brewery, um, it's kind of like just a neighborhood gathering spot. So, um, so you mentioned that, uh, when you worked at the multinational, it was kind of an a old boys club. Um, and now you work in, I, what I assume is less of a old boys club. Um, and so women who work in male-dominated industries and workplaces don't often have very great stories to tell about the culture of the workplace. Mm-hmm. Um, is being a brewmaster kind of like being in Silicon Valley or is there more of like an equality there? Uh, I don't think it's like being in Silicon Valley, no. Um, my experiences, <laughs> my experiences even, uh, working with the large brewer were generally positive and I was generally supported and there may not have been a ton of female leaders in my own brewery, mm-hmm. but within the organization, there was a number of strong women in, in strong leadership positions. Um, and there are other women in my, you know, parallel job in other breweries across the country. So I certainly didn't feel like by myself. Um, and I think ultimately Molson was really trying to foster, um, gender equality in the workplace. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's things that happened that in fact, I've only re-examined as we've, um, started hearing stories like recently about, you know, like Harvey Weinstein and, and the flood of, of women coming forward about uh, sexual harassment at work and things like that. And I have to really, I, that really gave me pause to kind of reflect on what I kind of took for granted as like normal things mm-hmm. that happened or that I had to put up with. Yeah. So I feel like there was a lot of that. Um, like, you know, just inappropriate jokes or comments about my appearance or, you know, things like that that have, that were coming at me all the time and, and still do to some extent, um, that I didn't really think about until, you know, a few weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really, if you, if we'd had this conversation six months ago, I would have been like, you know what, it was a great place to work. Um, I don't think there was any problems. So now I'm kind of reexamining that and saying like, yeah, there was some, there was some stuff that went down that wasn't great. Um, and that shouldn't have to happen to the next generation. Yeah. I'd say. And then flipping to, you know, now my current role, I'm the brewmaster in the brewery. I'm a leader. I'm in a leadership position in the brewery. Uh, 
So I don't really deal with any of that. I, I work with all guys, but they, I think because I'm kind of running the brewery to, or like the operation side of the brewery, um, I don't have any issues and whether that's because it's different type of people that are working in the craft breweries or what, but, or the position that I'm in, um, but certainly with my colleagues and my local industry, like there's really, I don't really notice other than the fact that I am one of the few women, I don't really feel that What if, but what working about, at industry events or with, you know, at my job. But what about your staff? Can you like would your staff be able to say the same thing? Because we do know that that you know in the restaurant industry, in the bar industry, there is yeah. there is a huge problem, and um, yeah, and these are these are these are people with jobs that they could get fired at in an instant. So mm-hmm. you know, I actually can't speak to that because the restaurant business and. Uh, because I work out at the production brewery um, mm-hmm. versus the brew pub, Fair and I don't, I don't have a lot of exposure to what goes on in the restaurants. But Fair enough. I certainly know that it's a completely different um, animal. Yeah, <laughs> gotcha. Um, so, what do you, what do you think that women brewmasters can bring to the table that male ones can't? Like in terms of like flavor profiles, or changing the culture, or whatever. Well, I think um, certainly the more female brewers and brewmasters there are, then the more there will be. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. uh, people always talk about having role models, and I don't really feel super comfortable being in that role, but um, I've realized over the past three years in this job that people are looking at me that way. Uh, so I think having more female brewers is going to beget more female brewers. Right. Uh, so that's something for sure. But as far as technical ability and, you know, like, uh, it, it doesn't, it's not gender specific in my opinion. Like, there's great male, you know, male brewers, there's great female brewers, and it really just comes down to the quality of the beer, so. Which apparently you make excellent beer, according to the, the Craft Beer Awards. Uh, yes, they were very uh, kind to me. They have been very kind to me the last couple of years, so it's been it's been a fun uh, wave wave to ride for me and also my team. Like it's uh, I I run the brewery in a very collaborative way with my group of brewers, and I think that's like the best way to to end, ultimately I just end up making the best beer is when you have you know five or six really strong passionate brewers and you let them all do you know be a big part of it and then mm-hmm. the, the the final product is really a culmination of everybody's efforts so. right um so changing yeah, cool. so changing gears a little bit um negative connotations about women in beer ha- go all the way back to the middle ages um and some of them are even associated with with witchcraft like every good thing women have ever done. Uh, um, so how do you fight the, the notion that beer created by women is quote-unquote for women, um, similar to how movies with female leads are chick flicks 
or how um, rose having rose in a can. Uh, they have to put rose in a can for it to become brose, um, and therefore becomes manly. I didn't actually, I've never heard of that. It's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, how, how do we fight the notion that you know beer? Say the beer that I make is only beer for women. Yeah. Um, that's a tough one because a lot of people don't know who's making their beer. And so they have no idea. Yeah. And a lot of people don't know that, say, Steamworks is, has a female brewmaster. And when they do, they're always surprised in a way that I think is kind of like, really? This good beer was made by a woman? <laughs> Which is yeah. it's kind of insulting, but it's kind of satisfying at the same time. Right. Uh, I, that's, a, that's a really tough one. I mean, I guess the proof is in the pudding. If, you know... We made we made flagship IPA and it won best IPA and beer of the year at the BC Beer Awards last year, um, and people then find out that the person at the helm of that brewery is a woman. Then I think um, it sort of proves the point. But yeah, I always get that surprise. Really, female yeah. brewer. Okay. Yeah, and I think it just goes back to what we, you were saying about just getting more women involved in the industry to kind of get take that surprise away um, mm-hmm. and make it more of a normal thing. Yeah, I mean, definitely whenever I tell people what I do, they're always taken aback. Yeah, well, I mean, I, not many of us even know brewmasters in general of any gender. So <laughs> Yeah, much less. And when you think of beer, because it's been marketed to one demographic, or one large demographic for so long. When you think of beer, we think male most times. And when we think of wine, we think women most times. So Mm -hmm. even, even within that, and then there's, yeah, even within that, there's a lot of disparity. So, yeah. Yeah. And I would say most of the time, even with industry people, uh, when I, especially when I was just new in my role with Steamworks and I didn't know a lot of the, the community, the craft community out here, people would always think that I was in sales. Mm. Yeah. Those Almost soft always. positions. Yeah. With sales soft or skills. Or, yeah. Know, yeah. Completely separate from actually making the beer. Yeah. So something that we've talked a lot about on the podcast is this idea and trend that more millennials are choosing sobriety. Um, Do you think that the mainstream alcohol market has pushed them out um, because they're just put off by the way that things are marketed to them with, you know, very, like, sexist and Mm -hmm. inappropriate marketing campaigns? Um, And Mm -hmm. if that's the case, like, how do you hope to bring them back in? Uh, Well, when I... When I consider this question, I think I must be living in a bubble because <laughs> I, I don't know anybody, any millennials. Maybe I don't know any millennials. Well, actually, I guess technically I'm I'm on the edge of being a millennial, yeah. but uh, maybe I'm living in the bubble of of craft beer. And there's, uh, you know, like we don't have any trouble bringing people in. Like mm-hmm. the 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 overwhelming majority of people are switching from switching to craft brewing, right. I would say, if they're, if they're beer drinkers or drinkers at all. But, um, but I think it's, it's interesting to see that, you know, more 
young people are are choosing to spend, you know, to, to spend more money on health and food and wellness versus alcohol. Um, but I, I don't really think as, as far as our our business and, and trying to bring great beer to everybody that it's affecting affecting what we're doing, really. But like I say, I could be living in, in the craft beer bubble. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I would assume that the people who come and drink your beer are already alcohol drinkers, so yeah. <laughs> they wouldn't be part of that demo. But so mm-hmm. where, where – I actually, this is my question. So have you ever thought about creating space or becoming a mentor to, you know, female craft brewers on the, on the come up, for example? Um, I guess – not not directly. Um, I was part of a festival last year called the Sierra's Cask Festival, which was um, a cask festival where all the different casks, and I think there was like, oh man, it was close, probably close to 100 casks, um, wow. were all made by female brewers in the province, and the ticket sales went to support um, a female student at Kwantlen Polytechnic University, where they have a brewing program. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was part of one of the uh, co-directors of, of that event, um, and so that was kind of the first time I really realized that what I was doing and what, you know, there's a few uh, few other female brewers locally what we were doing and in terms of just like inspiring women to be to pursue uh education in beer to pursue careers in beer um so that was kind of like my first feeling where i was like oh i am actually just not like what i'm doing actually is mattering to somebody um and to be honest with you i'm i'm not super comfortable in that feeling feeling in that role i mean it uh, so I haven't, I haven't thought about doing something directly. I think it's good, but it, it makes me, it makes me, um, just feel a little bit <laughs> weird. Like, cause I, in my mind, I'm just doing my thing. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. so the fact that it's affecting somebody else in, in a positive way, um, or inspiring someone makes me feel like, I don't know. <laughs> it makes me feel uncomfortable I guess that's an interesting point because I you know I mean I think that I don't think that it's um sort of like you're looked at as you know the oracle or the guru per se I think that it's just a relationship building thing in terms Uh of um, ex- and and to be able to you know give back to um, to the community and and I guess I guess I see it differently because um, because I, in I just, a way mm-hmm. I kind of I kind of just see it as I wish that we weren't really having to talk about this you know what I mean you wish it was just because like the I'm normal just, thing I'm just doing my job and trying to do it well um, and dealing with the same stuff that many, you know, many other brewers are dealing with, male, female, whatever. Um, and so I, I wish that the fact that I was a female wasn't really a talking point, to be honest. And that's kind of where I struggle with it. Because mm-hmm. I'm like, you know what? 
anybody can, like, lots of people are doing these types of jobs and doing them well, and why why do I have to be singled out because I'm a woman, you know what I mean? But I, I've come to realize that I'm going to be, so that's just... Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's like, it's like when I'm in all white spaces and people make a crack about me being black. I mean, I would I would love that that weren't the case, right? But I do have to acknowledge that that is um, that will be the case in some instances. And I guess you know, I think that I just I just think that for some women, they would love. And this is not just you. I, I don't want to single you out, but I kind of have you on the phone. So this is this is just like all women. Because I know that you're not the only one that feels this way. You know what I mean? But to yeah, all the women out there who are in positions of power, the next generation is looking to you. And mm-hmm. the next generation of women are looking to you. And... It's and you know what you have value to give. That's the beautiful thing, is that you've built up so much over your career that you have something to give. That's all. <laughs> that I was think it's really cool, but at the same time, it's incredibly daunting. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. But you know, I mean, I, I, I think I again, I, I think that you know, your journey too, to let people know, and this is not just women too, this is young people too here. So uh-huh. your journey to say, hey, I didn't go the beaten path. I actually found something that I loved and I love doing. And, um, you know, even in a male-dominated industry, it's totally, like, better. I'm to- I totally love what I'm doing. You know what I mean? Even uh-huh. though there are those, I'm sure you've had, you've gone through microaggressions and stuff like that. Uh-huh. But, you know, on the, on, on net, this works, you know what I mean? So uh-huh. I think like even that message is a valuable yeah. message to, and, and that's not a, a message necessarily just about you, but just about you finding your spot and finding your space to grow. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's a little... I'm getting preachy today. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I don't know. You put it very well. <laughs> um, so we have to go in a couple of minutes, but just two kind of quick questions. Um, mm-hmm. What's your favorite beer right now? Yeah. Oh, God. The pressure of that question. <laughs> okay. You um, could put it in categories, too. Like, you could say, my favorite lager, my favorite wheat beer. Or you can just say... The favorite beer that we, my favorite beer that we make, and my favorite beer to drink with my husband at home. Yeah, my favorite beer that we make right now is called Steamworks Winter Lager, and um, it's not how it sounds. Uh, like uh, my idea of a winter lager or a winter beer is like chocolatey and sweet or something, yeah. but it's actually not at all like that. It's um, mine is Guinness. It's a, a Marzen, which is kind of like an, a German style amber lager, but. Oh. So it's got a little bit of malty toastiness to it, um, a nice kind of copper color, um, and it's, you know, just around 5% alcohol, so you can have a couple. It's not like the giant IPAs where you have two and you're hungover the next day. Right. So that's kind of like what what I'm enjoying at home right now. Um, nice. Yeah, and then as far as styles go, I mean... 
the hazy, hazy IPAs that we sell in our West Coast market are all the rage right now, and um, the more flagship IPA is brewed to that style, and then there's a, n- a number of breweries locally that are making that style uh, really, really well, so and we where, drink a lot of that. So where can we find you then? Are you on? Pardon yeah. Me? What's your? Are you on social media at all? Um, I am a little bit. Um, <laughs> I must confess, I'm not very good at updating. Uh, I mostly do Instagram. I'm at Julia underscore Brulia. Julia Brulia, I love it. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that is so extra. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, oh that's me on Instagram. Um, I try to post stuff with beers that we're doing or you know, stuff around the brewery with the people that I work with. Um, but I must confess that I'm not very good at updating it all the time. So Instagram is a beast. Like Pardon? this Instagram is a beast. It will suck up all of your time if you try to keep up yeah. with all that posting. And I don't know, maybe I'm too old for Twitter, but I <laughs> I don't I don't really go on Twitter all that much. It's it's a it's a steep learning curve, to be honest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean I, I have an account, <laughs> but I feel like I am on Twitter the way my mom is on Facebook. Oh. <laughs> um, cool. Well, thanks for spending time with us. This was really interesting, very informative. Totally fun. Learned a lot. Totally. Thank you so much for uh, having me. Yeah, I, I'm really upset that I, I don't think we can get any of these beers in Ontario. So. Uh, we do have one beer in Ontario. Ooh. A Steamworks Colt is on, in, in Ontario. Oh. But uh, otherwise, you'll just have to make the trip out to BC. Yeah, I have to come visit home. Wow. <sighs> oh. oh, God forbid. Beautiful BC. <laughs> oh. All right, so thanks so much, Julia. I'll talk Thank to you, you later. Thank you, Julia. Thanks a lot, guys. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Okay, cool. So... Thank you so much. That was so fun. Thank you. That was cool. Um, we all... podcast. Awesome. <laughs> uh, we'll let you. I'll let you know when it's uh, posted. Okay. Cool. We'll shout you out Sounds on Instagram. Good. Yes. <laughs> What's that? We'll shout you out on Instagram and not Twitter. <laughs> okay. Thank you. <laughs> cool. Well, enjoy, yeah. enjoy the rest of your Saturday. Well, Erica, that was really cool. I didn't know that. Okay, so first of all, I I really love listening to people's journeys. Yeah. And I really love people who decide, okay, because like everybody, like Ottawa is the place, everybody, where everybody wants to get wifed up and like, and, and join the corporate ladder at like 15. Yeah. So, you know, you like, so there's not a lot of, um interesting origin stories yes and i thought that was a really good interesting origin story to go from like chemical engineering and just decide you know what i'm not going to go the like you know that way i'm gonna follow what i love and i think i think that's pretty awesome i bet you she's one of the best i bet you yeah she's won a whole bunch of awards yeah and uh, you know i always say like um, I was having this conversation at my physio's office and they were like, 
suppose so. You know how things are. I'm like, it's great. The podcast went 5,000. And they're like, well, how are you going to make money from all that? And I'm just like, um, I have my ways and business plans. But the point is, is that that's not the purpose in life, right? Yeah. And that the money does come, I'm the sure. The money follows where you where you love it. Exactly. That makes no sense, but you know what I mean. Yeah, I totally totally when you commit to something the money will follow yeah so um and yet so we got that side of it we got that business side we got that passion side we got that no actually there is something about brewing beer that is pretty awesome and you know we we're we're like chefs of beer and then and then contrast that with um elise 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 and you see the side where, you know, your social interactions depend on alcohol. Yeah. And, you know, so that's like the other extreme. And I just like, I thought it was pretty balanced. Yeah, it was really, it was really but interesting. But not like Fox News balanced. No, I, I learned a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So uh, that about wraps it up here. Um, you can find us on Twitter at Bad and Bitchy on Instagram at Bad and Bitchy Pod, on Facebook.com forward slash Bad and B Podcast. And email us if you have questions, if you just want to say, hey. Hey. Uh, bad and B Pod at gmail.com. So uh, don't forget to rate us, tell your friends, and uh, yeah, that's about it. Cool. Bye. 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 Bye.